Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm from Excitedhouse Matsublinen, who's a speaker and writer focusing on Chinese internet and tech innovation. In particular, he's known for his analysis of WeChat, China's famous super app and ByteDance. The paying company of TikTok has been in something featured in global media, including The Economist, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, BBC, Financial Times, and others. Uh, he delivers presentations executive teams seeking to gain insight into Chinese tech innovation. His company, China Channel, organizes China's largest annual WeChat digital marketing conference for international companies. Mal co-hosts the China TikTok podcast produced together with Chinese largest English tech uh, tech media tech node. Uh, the podcast unpacks Chinese tech innovation and features guests such as Dr. Kai Fu Lee and companies such as Xiaomi, Tencent, Gideon, Wall Street Journal, Matthew's new book, Attention Factory, The Story of TikTok and Chinese Bytons is out now. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So, uh, you know, you have, you have an interesting journey because you, you spent in China, China for 16 years. You know, what, what got you so interested to be uh, in China and learn more about startups. Yeah, I came to China straight out of university. Uh, I studied economics in the UK, and then uh, I stayed. I planned to stay for one year just to have a break um, between and that and entering the workforce, probably in London, in the in the city. But I stayed uh, to learn Chinese because I saw that China was just um, going through this golden age, essentially, which I think it still is in a golden age. Um, I, but the growth and change in society was just incredible uh, all around you. There was construction and uh, uh, this growth story of the, you know, you can see that in the GDP numbers in China. If you, uh, everyone who's probably familiar with that and knows of this sort of economic miracle that's happened over the last uh, two decades, three decades. Um, and I was just in the middle of that basically and uh, saw you know, it just made going back to London feel just so boring. Uh, there was so much opportunity and uh, I only, you know, grabbed a small part of it, really. I mean, it's, it's just uh, still today, it's still pretty um, amazing, but it has calmed down and it's, uh, over time has become um, more and more developed. Um, certainly in, in places like Shanghai today, it feels, you know, like Tokyo or London or any sort of major global city in terms of its development. Uh, but that really wasn't the case when I arrived. And, and so that's really the story of why I stayed in China was to take part in that in some small way. Uh, and, you know, I moved into along the way through, through the education industry. I moved from specializing in, in content and on online content in particular. And I, I, you know, before I got into WeChat marketing and, and, and Chinese covering Chinese digital and what I do today, uh, I was involved in ed tech uh, industry in, in, in China for several years. And I built out um, one of the earliest um, educational K-12 uh, software to us because it wasn't fully online at the time. It was, it was mostly offline delivered for a CD um, because the infrastructure wasn't there in, the, in these cities that we were trying to reach uh, in, in, uh, in sort of inland China. Um, but we, we, we came very early to that and it was really tough to get Chinese to... Uh, to see value in software back then because it was uh, a time in China's history where 
Um, the, and there still is this perception amongst a lot of people that anything online should be free. And uh, there was software piracy was rampant. And, uh, you know, this is the case across many areas. You know, I'm in Southeast Asia today, and I think there's, there's also a similar, similar issues here. Um, so we were, we were facing those challenges, and, and, uh, but that was really before this explosion in mobile happened. I think from, from 2011, essentially, everything changed. And, uh, you know, that was when iPhone 4 came out, which just completely went crazy in China. And this new mobile era of innovation really started from then. And again, I'm just sort of playing a small part in that, I, I feel. But uh, it's really just unimaginable what's happened in the last 10 years. No, absolutely. I think uh, Charlie Munger, one of the greatest, in, greatest investors, have said that you know the Chinese growth has been one of the greatest compounding uh, compounded growth ever seen in, uh, in the history of mankind. Uh, so you know it's, it's very exciting to know that you've been in China during during that growth. Uh, and you know you 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 written the book about about tension factory and you've been into online content and. Uh, you know what? What, uh, what is what is TikTok all about? Just just for listeners, so they can understand uh, if they haven't used the product. Sure, sure. I mean, the book I wrote last year is uh, Attention Factory. It's about the a story of TikTok, the story of the company behind TikTok, ByteDance. Right. So ByteDance is coming up to um, you know for people who aren't familiar with with ByteDance. I'm sure many of the listeners are, but I'm sure some of them aren't. As much as they probably should be, um, because this is this is the next Facebook. Uh, this company, uh, in terms of valuation and revenue, you look at the the charts and you'll see clearly it's on course to reach up to that level in a few years, and uh, it probably will surpass Facebook at some point um, in terms of both revenue uh, and users. So, uh, and that's including you know the Facebook's entire suite family of apps. Um, uh, you know, ByteDance is uh, is a company that everyone in tech should know a lot about. <laughs> Essentially, it's 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 really a big giant now. Um, it's not. It's in China. It's it's basically on the same level as Alibaba and Tencent, and you know it has potential to even be bigger than those uh, those local giants one day. Um, so. That's a story that has really only, this is like a nine-year-old company, essentially. Uh, it's not, it's a very young company compared, you know, like Alibaba, Tencent are like 20 plus years old. Uh, Google's 20, well over 20, you know, 20 years old now. Um, Facebook, Facebook's younger, but still, you know, not, you know, this is just younger than all of these companies. It's more like a Snapchat really in terms of its age. Um, and really only... It got to a mid-sized level in China up to about 2016. And then it was just really this short video trend that we've seen originally with Douyin and later with, with TikTok that has propelled them um, up into the big league. And, and, and really, uh, it's, that is unimaginable. I think if you go back to 2016, if you ask me, you know, are you really interested in ByteDance? I'd probably be like, yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's not, not the most interesting company. And suddenly uh, everything changed about four or five years ago. And so, yeah, I think people's expectations have yet to catch up and their, their understanding of, of how important this is has yet to catch up. If you can look at the latest data for TikTok, right, I'll just give you one, one, one angle to think about it. 
Um, I was just looking at Appani's latest report from you know the state of mobile 2021. So it, if you go into that, uh, you see that Appani's like very clearly said, you know, TikTok's basically taking over from Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, all of these big apps, mostly Facebook, but you know, yeah, even including like YouTube as like the number one place where people spend time now across pretty much all, every developed market. Um, that trend is about two years, yeah, roughly two years behind what we saw in China. And what's even more interesting is I think that trend is just in the early days. I think it's actually can double again in terms of the amount of attention, users, time spent, and it can, oh, the advertising is even, you know, it's very tiny to where it will be. So, um, People already know TikTok and aware of it and how important, but trust me, it's still early days. <laughs> it's still early days. Just look at what's happening in the, in China or like where I am in Southeast Asia. These are the early, the first markets that TikTok went into. Um, it's further ahead. And, uh, this thing can, uh, this is a, this is a time black hole <laughs> in terms of attention. Uh, I, in China, roughly between ByteDance and its competitors for short video, roughly. A quarter of all online, all time online is spent in short video. Uh, I think that's very possible to be the, the, the same uh, globally in, within three to four years. So uh, that's, that's a huge shift in like where you're acquiring users, uh, you know, where you're advertising, uh, where you're going to do your organic content marketing. Uh, all of this stuff is going to shift towards short video. It's not just TikTok. Uh, you know, Facebook has Reels, um, YouTube has YouTube Shorts now. There's going to be a ton of clones of this format appearing everywhere. In China, it is even like Alibaba and Pindoro have it integrated into e-commerce platforms. I don't think it's unrealistic to say that, you know, one day Amazon will have short video in their app um, in a very similar way to what how TikTok works with the swipe up motion. Uh, that's, that's what, you know, that would be unimaginable in China you know, three years ago today, you know, it's common. Everyone's doing it because it's just such a compelling format. And um, it's it's compelling in terms of the data it collects from the user uh, from the back end. And it's compelling in terms of the user experience. And so um, it's a bit like how we saw shorts, you know, um, with Snapchat came out with this, uh, you know, uh, this innovation that Facebook copied, right, um, with the pucks at the top. Um and that basically became integrated into every platform now where you've got that. But um, you're, you're seeing the same thing here with like the short video will become integrated across all of the big platforms. But TikTok's definitely leading. I mean, they, they've got a lead market leading position in this format, short video, and uh, I don't see them going anywhere. Uh, the main risk for them was political risk. Uh, you know, Donald Trump trying to ban them and, and the anti-China sentiment across Western markets. And we, you know, we did see in India, they did get banned, right? And that was a big, yeah. that was a big market for them. So, um, that's the main risk is the political risk in terms of the actual products and the, uh, the team and the execution. Uh, there's no, you know, this has got long way to go, big long runway still, and is basically the most important internet trend of the last three years. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you, you made some some lot of lot of valid uh, uh, relevant points, and 
especially you know how the, how the app was banned in india and you know trump wanted to to split tiktok from from bytons um and uh, you know i i want to talk about uh, yiming zhang uh, who was the who's the founder uh, of the company and you know he's recently uh, uh, had to had to step down uh, but you know, what, what was uh, his early startup experience which which helped in building the strategy for for bytons and do you think that was uh that was relevant uh for a founder to have that sort of experience because obviously you have Mark Zuckerberg who had no, no experience who went on to build uh, one of the greatest uh you know uh media companies but you have Yiming who did have a couple of years of experience before he started off uh, by terms Yiming's you know very impressive founder i think the the foundations for tiktok's success come back all come back to him uh but but it's a little bit difficult to see that uh from someone who doesn't understand the history uh you know that's through reading the book i think that's one of the core things that that hit home you know i've had people from um you know all the big companies reach out essentially saying oh you know it really helped me understand where this is coming from right like um essentially eming started the company in 2011 i think uh for oh, sorry um, in beijing with um the concept that you know this is we're moving into this mobile era uh and, and away from desktop in china i think in india as well it's probably the same that uh, there's this really really clear divide in people's minds around mobile and desktop eras and and it's like very very chinese have this very because it was such a big deal in china but in western markets because of web 1.0 web 2.0 eras uh, the transition was slower and it wasn't as clear people talk about it a lot but they don't actually you know it's not like china where it's just okay everything that happened in desktop forget about it everything forget about it like this is just a fresh thing and we don't and it's also down to things like things like email don't work in china and the open web basically isn't a thing in china everything happens in some kind of app right whereas in in western markets um we still use the web a lot like the open web we still go to websites we buy things directly from something something.com like nobody does that in china like nobody uh, it's basically you can't sell that way um because the usage browser usage is so low um and, and then you see that's why chinese don't baidu is not the same as was google because it, it, the habits in china all shifted towards apps and and baidu got kicked out of those of calling that that data so uh, that the usage habits so different uh, the, the founder found that, like recommendation essentially is the thing that he went all in on he said like okay recommendation is essentially what will power content discovery in the mobile age and there's a couple of things behind that one that screens are very small and you don't have keyboards you don't have mice so you can't do accurate input um you know typing on a phone is is it's a terrible experience right let's be honest like even in english it's terrible um yeah. it's uh it's on a on a piece of glass slab of glass you know people do it and put up with it and it's been normalized and i think people don't realize how terrible this experience is it's it's just a very inconvenient awful thing and it's even worse in china because you know chinese characters they're okay to type out this pinyin systems it's okay but uh, so for so for educated people it's fine but for non-educated people um actually uh they really don't like doing that and seniors don't like doing that as well 
So we find that voice messaging and uh, uh, video is much more common in the Chinese market as a way to communicate. Uh, for most mostly through WeChat. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. You've got this environment where you've got this small screen, uh, how do people use mobile? They use it like they open their phone 50 times a day and most of the session times are very short, maybe 60 seconds, um, maybe you know two, three minutes. That's very different to desktop and laptop. Um, and so you've got this, and then you've got this information overload as well that on the internet, there's just so much more. There's more podcasts, there's more blogs. There's the, the, every every year just keeps going and going and going, but everybody still only has 24 hours in a day. So these trends combine together to realize, okay, actually with search engine, right, which we're all very familiar with, you know, it's people looking for information. When you flip that on its head and, and make it recommendation engines, information looking for people, and they were actually very early to this in China, um, and even for Silicon Valley, quite early in, in for this. If you go back a decade um, before the sort of explosion of interest in AI and the sort of uh, the discoveries around uh, deep learning neural networks, um, before that came to fruition, um, there was just a concept that you know uh, using machine learning to um, understand people's content preferences. Uh, could never match a human editor, right? It could never possibly compete with a human. That was actually a commonly held view. And, right. and so today that seems ridiculous, um, you know, that, that you could ever think that like machine learning has proven to be extremely powerful and better than humans at understanding um, content preferences. Um, to give you one idea, <laughs> this is idea in, in China that... Um, if you use TikTok for 10 minutes, uh, the Douyin, the, the, the version there, it can actually know your content preferences better than your spouse. Oh. <laughs> In that time, it will learn what you like faster um, than and, and to a level that would surprise even close relatives. That are there. And so... I, I don't know how that how they work that out. It's probably just a rumor, but it, it, it is... Um, it's believable. It's believable because um, it really, if you use the product yourself, you know from using TikTok, initially you might come in. A lot of first impression that people have around TikTok is that, oh, this is not for me. It's just dancing and mimes and like things like that, um, lip, lip sync. Um, but at some point, if you keep with it, you know, for not, not for very long either, for like maybe 10, 20 minutes, um, it just starts to very accurately predict what you want to see and becomes very personalized in terms of the content that it shows you. And so everyone's TikTok is different, right? Um, so, you know, even people at ByteDance, I know the, the PMs, they're like, they have eight or nine different TikToks. Like they just log in and log out of their different accounts because they're testing like different content funnels, like um, because they're so different. And they deliberately train the algorithm in different ways so that they can test different things. Um, but um, yeah, because it's so personalized, right? It's like uh, it really is very, very. Um, everyone, everyone sees a different TikTok, 
Um, having said that, you know, you know, there's certain videos that go viral and then they get such wide reach that everyone ends up seeing one or two of the same things. But yeah, that, that's that's the core insight around this re- power of this recommendation is what Eming really, really believed in. And then to take the, the company behind it, ByteDance, they went out and built a recommendation engine at a time in China where nobody knew how to do that. There was basically no, in, they had to teach themselves. There was They couldn't hire anyone. There was a small team working for Hulu uh, in Beijing that actually had some people that knew how to do it. That was it in the whole of China, 1.4 billion people. Basically, no one knew how to build a recommendation engine. Um, so that's how early they were to it. And their early stuff was pretty basic um, in terms of personalization. Uh, but, you know, that that was for articles. Um, that Totial, their original flagship product, is basically Facebook newsfeed without any friends. Right? It's just um, articles and, and, and videos. Um, and then later on, they took this experience and matched it with uh, Musical.ly, essentially, the Musical.ly experience and combined. And then that, when they hooked those two things together, it just exploded. <laughs> and, and that's where it, we really saw that. Without the re- why is ByteDance the one to do TikTok and not Facebook or Google or some other or Snapchat or whatever? It's, it's down to that. You know, they were actually done all of this work years and years before building up spent you know a big data scientist team and working on recommendation as being their core competency uh, and that's what's really powered uh the tiktok experience in many ways is that data flywheel um that's so strong uh, and that the recommend the personalization which is you know making it um a really compelling experience but on the other side you also have this um the chinese ecosystem around uh, what we call content operations and, uh, you know, this is a sort of area of um, internet products that it, operations is, is really weird because it's something that everyone does in China, but nobody does in Silicon Valley. And so this is one of the reasons why TikTok was able to grow so fast and, and do things and, and why Facebook and other companies had a really bad time trying to copy it. Um, because they did, right? Like Facebook did something called Lasso and they tried to copy it like before Reels and it completely failed because they didn't understand operations at all uh, was one of the reasons. Uh, and so this operations is just about, it's, it's a very manual thing of like hiring lots of people. Um, it doesn't scale very well. You actually just have to hire lots of people and they manage creators on the platform. They do lots and lots of things that don't scale to help foster ecosystem and community and promote and, and do all these uh, things that um, only humans can do. It's not data-driven. So um, that, but it's effective. It really works. And, and uh, there's, 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 a, there's a lot to be unpacked there. Uh, I don't know if they do it in India, but I, I would imagine that, you know, most of the uh, companies now in the mobile space are looking towards China and looking towards what's happening in that market. Uh, as where the new ideas are coming out. And it's not a case if you just take TikTok, right? If you, what Facebook was doing was they were saying, okay, Douyin's exploded in China, let's just build a clone and, 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 and test that in Mexico. Um, that just, just copying and pasting doesn't actually uh, work very well because the Chinese are doing a lot of um, things behind the back. You, know, you can't see just from opening the app 
Um, there's, there's this whole ecosystem of operations going on, uh, which is very, very important and a driver, especially for content apps like TikTok. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the you know, Indian ecosystem really looks up to uh, what, what China does because I think the cultures are, are, are very similar. And uh, also, uh, 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 you know, when it comes to uh, uh, expansion to to, uh, to your other South Asian countries, like you mentioned, they're still in the early stages. What, what were some of the ex- expansion strategies that they they did uh, in India, uh, Japan, uh, US, which, which worked for them? And what are some of the growth hacks uh, which which help? You know, it could help listeners who are trying to build consumer apps. But uh, what, what do you think were were interesting uh, information uh, which you? You yeah, I mean, uh, so I think this stuff is um, in the book. I put around sort of like how they, in the early days, uh, the very, very earliest markets they went into for, for TikTok. I'm, I'm a bit about what they did there. Surprisingly, one of them was Japan, uh, which is surprising because Japan's so tough. It's like one of the toughest markets globally uh, if, if to, to introduce a new internet service into. And it's particularly tough if you're Chinese. Because uh, the Japanese are not very welcoming of Chinese internet products, so um, that uh, it's surprising that they chose that market as one of the first. I mean, geographically it makes sense, but otherwise it doesn't. Um, uh, but they did, and that was actually uh, the first TikTok office outside China was in was in Tokyo. Um, it was a very small, like scrappy little office where they started um, yeah, out of a WeWork, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they were doing, you know, they already had the product, right? So they had this like amazing AI in the background, like their, their backend is, is really global best in class. The product itself is solid. They just need to lo- and get this content ecosystem flying, this local, uh, build this local ecosystem of content creators. And a lot of that's operations around um manually like approaching influencers, micro managing what they call in China, KOL, KOC. Um, so the KOL is the big influencers and up to mega celebrities. Then, you know, there's one strategy for those guys. And then there's a sort of grassroots strategy of like, okay, how do we just build um, these smaller influencers and, and foster that ecosystem? And that's doing things, you know, just like opening up chat, you know, manually reaching out to them one by one uh, hey, you know, I'm from the platform, uh, you know, get into this chat group and we can talk, you know, and then like feeding them ideas like, okay, this is trending, you know, like on, on TikTok, it's a content platform where if you've managed, you know, there's new hashtags every day, there's new filters every day, there's new songs that trend every day. And so what, what, the, what you don't see is behind the scenes, these operations teams, you know, manually sending out information to creators on the platform saying, hey, use this hashtag. Hey, you know, this this is trending now. You might want to do this. Or like, this is growing up in China. So we think it's probably going to do well in Japan as well. You might want to copy this. Uh, um, that kind of manual work that you know, takes a lot of people. Um, but it's a really effective because the you do end up building this ecosystem much, much faster. Now that can happen organically, right? If your product's good enough, that flywheel will start, you know, like, you know, Twitter never did that, right? Like back in the days, but like this was the early days of internet where um, there was no competition and you're just riding this wave of like everything's new and like the nobody really knows how this works. 
today, you know, you're, you're, everyone's competing for attention. Everyone's, you know, there's a new platform coming in. Uh, if you're not doing this and someone else is, you're at a severe disadvantage. And so that's how it works in the China market is because your competitors are doing this, they're hiring a big team to, uh, you know, to talk to influencers or like work out the sort of like cross promotion deals with other, with other apps and things like this. Um, or, you know, doing offline events, even things like that to really like, okay, we, we know that we've got in this city, like a small ecosystem of like mid-sized creators. What happens if we get them to meet up? We'll send someone over there. All of the, you know, there's, there's many of these like different tactics. Like I said, it's not just one tactic, right? It's like all of these different things combined. Um, that they're, if you're, your competitors are doing that, you're not doing that. They're just going to blow you out the water, right? There's, there's no way you're going to be able to uh, scale as fast as they, they can. Um, in other interesting things, you know, going back to Japan, uh, you know, they worked out that, okay, in Japan, people don't like to put their faces on social media. You know, actually in Japan, Twitter is still the biggest um, social network. So that surprised me. Interesting. Um, yeah, um, and people like Twitter because they put they run multiple profiles and they don't use their faces; they use anonymous profiles, and uh, and so that speaks to how actually you would expect TikTok to do very badly in Japan because it's yeah. it, it does all about showing your face. It's Correct. all about being individual, right? It's uh, whereas Japan's more of a collective society where individualism isn't uh, celebrated in the same way it is in say America which is yeah. a very individualistic uh, society, right? It's the total opposite. Um, so, I mean, that's why for short form video, the first the user group that you saw that did really well for short video was, was teenagers, right? It was young people with musically because they were just so individualistic and, and so free to express themselves in video and talk to a camera. Uh, is That's an sort of a side thing, but like really, really interesting is that um, if you go back even four years, no, certainly four, maybe even three years now, the perception in, in North America and, and in Europe around like someone actually picking up a phone and looking at the camera and filming themselves to make a short video was considered really strange, right? It was considered to be something that was an adult should not do. Right? Right. It's like, why would if you went down the street in LA doing that four years ago, people would be, uh, you know, a lot of people would look at you. Today, it's just been normalized, right? Nobody thinks anything of it. But that change in societal norms has 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 taken place over the last uh, three to four years. In many, you know, I'm not saying every market. I'm sure there's some markets where that was fine to to do that. I mean, even in China, that was considered a little bit strange uh, three four years ago. I think um, today. It's really, you know, you can see it a lot more. Um, but yeah, this change in Japan was particularly difficult, right? That you had to get to normalize people talking to a video, filming themselves and putting that on the internet. So one of the things one they did is um, they used, they, they specialized in using filters um, that obscured your face somehow a little bit. Oh. They pushed those ones more. And then they also like... Uh, um, pushed a lot of challenges uh, that uh, involved people collaborating together to create content. So it wasn't so individualistic. It was more about, hey, let's make this video with friends um, or, you know, stitching things together or doing duets and things like that. 
So um, that that was the sort of localization there in terms of what they pushed in in terms of content for Japan. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Got it. And, uh, you know, uh, I've been part of a community called On Day Partners Fellowship, and uh, we're looking at new user uh, acquisition strategies. And, you know, uh, one of the fellows told me about TikTok uh, as a user acquisition channel uh, uh, and where, you know, you're getting mil- if not millions of views, but hundreds of thousands of views, which is just not possible on, on YouTube anymore. Uh, but w- what do you think about e-commerce on, on TikTok and, you know, uh, user acquisition channel? Uh, should we, should people use newer platforms like TikTok because, you know, something like YouTube is totally saturated? Yeah, definitely. That's the basic logic, right? Um, okay. That uh, new platforms is where you get free traffic or low price traffic. And that's, not specific to we see that again from from email in the 90s through to today every platform rises up and when it rises up uh in, the, uh, in that early rising stage you're going to see um an imbalance of high demand low supply of content and so you're easy to acquire attention and acquire users and uh, you know if it's e-commerce you can make sales um, t- like I said, TikTok's still in early days. Uh, it's still growing fast um, in terms of time spent. You know, overall, the amount of hours spent on a platform is still growing very fast, and uh, there's still opportunities. It's still, I would, it's the best platform to for a startup to work on as long as it's a suitable uh, industry, a suitable vertical that can actually work for this platform. You know, some of them can't. It's not it's not that great for B2B, right? So like if you're doing anything in B2B area, TikTok might not be a great choice. But if you're if you're doing something, let me just give you the, the best example, which is a, 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 another Chinese company called Shein, right? E-commerce company that does uh, fashion. I released a, a big article on them about a week ago now. Um, they're probably the fastest growing e-commerce company in the world. And... Uh, they do extremely well on TikTok with a very, very simple strategies uh, that basically many of their competitors could have been using, but they just weren't savvy enough. And I think they're catching up now, but Shein's so far ahead that it's, yeah. you know, it's like uh, difficult for them to gain the same momentum. But this was something that basically any fashion company, e-commerce you know, um, platform could have done. But they just, you know, the Chinese were there first. They understood how to use TikTok because mm-hmm. Douyin, it comes from China. And it's, like I said, about two years ahead in China. So they, they know how to market in China. And they're just taking these strategies and applying them internationally now. And so that you'll see the Chinese companies are the best in, in terms of TikTok marketing. Um, but uh it's you know the, the strategies they're using, it's not rocket science. Uh it's it's you know that with Xi'an, they just they encourage uh, uh creators or just some very small accounts in fact everyone you know you can post a, a video to tiktok with the hashtag she in hall um and show what you bought and just put it on and it works very well because it's like fast paced right you can show like five outfits in 30 seconds if you want just quickly 
because Shein's quite cheap, um, that works quite well. And uh, and then it, there's a chance that they'll repost you to the main Shein account. Like they'll just take your video. And so you can, if you do get that as a small account, it's going to drive a lot of followers and attention to you. So you've got this win-win scenario. Um, and they, they've been doing that for quite a while and it's very effective. And they do that themselves and they work with influencers, small and large on the platform. Uh, and I think they probably do advertising on there as well now that it's open. Um, but again, like it's not, I don't think it's um, something that is particularly, it's just about execution, right? It's not, there's no great, amazing strategy there. Um, and, and it works well for them. I think if, you've got any, if you're doing e-commerce for any category where you've got a product that you, know, you can display and demonstrate in an interesting way quickly, uh, then you, you, TikTok's absolutely the platform for you. Right. Very interesting because you, you pointed about Shane, uh, which is uh, like a very secretive e-commerce company. I, I have no idea they're $10 million in revenue. In fact, in India, when people used to buy from Shane, I thought it's, uh, you know, low quality products, but, uh, but it's really taken over in, in US, ranking above Amazon. It's, it's something very interesting. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, I want to talk about uh, TikTok CEO stepping down. And also, if you look at uh, Jack Ma from Alibaba, you know, he's, he's also stepped down. Is, is it because of the government uh, who's, who's cracking down and making sure that the companies don't become, uh, you know, larger than, than size in the uh, world? Um, no. I think, that, I think that's the narrative that Western media pushes way more than... Re, you know, like they essentially all of the media in, uh, in the West loves that narrative and, and pushes it without really much evidence. And uh, it's just these companies, the CEOs, was, you know, the big, well, Jack Ma stepped down. Jack Ma's really old, right? <laughs> like he's, he's, the company's like 25, uh, 1999 when they started, right? So, um, and he wasn't young when he started it. Like he should be stepping down, right? Like this, that's quite, there's, there's nothing there unusual. Um, with, uh, I think the more interesting examples are Pindoro and and now ByteDance. Um, with ByteDance, um, I think both of those, on, those were entrepreneurs, the founders there, uh, Conning Huang and Zhang Yimin are friends. They know each other. Uh, I think they're both coming from the same place. Uh, and I think the, the actual letter that Yiming wrote, which they published publicly when he made that announcement, to me makes so much sense. I mean, it's uh, in China, don't be fooled into thinking the CEO is the most important person in the company. It's not. Uh, you know, yeah. that's just, uh, he's just put someone there that he totally trusts, someone who's been uh, you know, a, a lifelong friend uh, who's been in the company in, you know, playing behind the scenes, you know, head of HR, or at one point, uh, he was technical director in the early days, someone who's technically very savvy, right, understands what they're doing, you know, can can understand the, the, the technology aspects of what they're doing, uh, is, you know, great with HR, which is one of the most important functions. And then they've also got the new CEO of, um, of TikTok, uh, Joseph Chu, who's now the CFO, um, who, you know, is on the financial aspect, he's going to be leading things forward. He's you know that makes total sense. I think he would totally uh, do a better job than the founder on that, um, given his background. So they've really got their bases covered quite well. 
And uh, for Eming, knowing, you know, from researching him and, and knowing his childhood, his background, his constant, he's done so many interviews in Chinese that never got published in English, but all of the highlights I put into my book with um, all of that combined, it makes total sense what he's doing. Uh, you know, he doesn't, the date being a CEO is really super stressful and you've got lots and lots of day-to-day stuff that you have to do, um, which doesn't really drive long-term growth. A CEO's job is actually quite short-term uh, in most of it. You know, you're meant to think long-term as well, but the reality is you get bogged down in a lot of detail and a lot of like putting out fires and stuff, which especially in the last 12 months, you know, they've been doing a lot of that, right? Like they've <laughs> it's been mostly putting out fires, which has been the CEO's job in the past 12 months. So it's understandable that I feel that if he's got a strong team, which he has, the team's very strong now in, in terms of the executives in, in who they've got involved there, um, that he would want to focus on what he loves and what he what has really driven the company, which is like his insights around where things are moving long term. And that requires a lot of research and a lot of deep thinking and a lot of like you don't you can't be distracted every day with all of this stuff if you want to do that. So, you know, I think that when you look at all of these, uh, it makes a lot of sense when you when you when you think about it. I think Colin Huang is is a similar case for Pindoro, um, that you know they they want to move more into agriculture and he wants to focus more on that. Um, the companies are in good hands, so and and it, nobody in China really thinks that Zhang Yimin is actually stepping down, right? That's okay. that's thing to bear in mind. Like nobody thinks that he's actually not in control anymore, right? He's in control, but like just. Okay, I don't need to deal with day to day anymore, right? I, I like uh, if there's an actual important decision to be made, like he's the one still calling the shot on that. Um, so nothing's really changed in the what's important, long term, strategic. Um, I think the team there now it seems feels to me like very stable. I, I think like that executive team is going to be around for a long time. I think they've got the right mix now. So, uh, yeah, it's another reason to be bullish on ByteDance long-term prospects. I think they've really got a strong team. Got it. And, and uh, you know, I want to talk about censorship of content, especially it's a, uh, it's a big issue in, in US with Facebook and Google being, and Twitter being being called out uh, last year uh, about content. But, but how do you think uh, TikTok is managing to censor content? Censor content yeah. on TikTok? Um, I think TikTok was in the early days using very blunt methods. Like they were just growing so fast. Their team was so small and they're a content platform. So content is so messy, right? Like it's, um, it's an area where you're essentially dealing with people. And so people are complex people. There's good people. There's bad people. Uh, when people come online, that doesn't change. And so you get like lots of, uh, things, people making content that's illegal in different for various reasons in different areas. And, and, that, and then you're a startup that's, well, TikTok was, we could say TikTok was a startup, you know, during say 2017 and 18. Um, and you have got no resources to deal with that kind of thing. So it's unsurprising or very little resources. And so you have to just use very blunt tools and like have policies that um, get it nine, you know, roughly right. But um, until you can hire, uh, you know, a hundred people to deal with this, um, then you know that's all you can do. Uh, and so, yeah, definitely. There's in the early days, I think a lot of stuff 
uh, happening on the platform that, uh, you know, in, with music, musically it was even worse because there was, it was well known that there was lots of pedophiles on the platform because there were so many young kids there. And uh, that's well documented. And again, this is a startup uh, musically at its peak had about a hundred people um, on their team. So they can't, they just don't have the infrastructure and the resources to deal with that when you've got like a hundred million users, uh, on, you know, on, again, at their peak, probably a hundred million MAU, something like that. Um, so yeah, definitely stuff happened and they, you know, they're taking down stuff and doing all this kind of um, enforcing those rules unevenly right and i'm sure there's lots of case studies there are lots of case studies of, of terrible things happening through the through the uh, platform um in turn then there's the other question of um is bite dance censoring content because the chinese government's telling it to do that um again this uh, is a narrative that western media really loves talking about the evidence for it is very very little uh, I, I haven't seen any compelling evidence uh, there's circumstantial evidence like there's okay like this I did a search for this and it came up with that and da da da, da. Um, again to be fair it's it's quite difficult to prove this stuff right it's an algorithm like how do you prove that it's it's doing this and not doing that um, when when that all of that stuff is happening on the back end but you can't see um, but Still, there's, there's actually no evidence of that, really. Um, and TikTok today is separate from the infrastructure in China, right? They've completely separated it, which was very difficult for them to do, but they've done it. Um, and that means that they are genuine when they say it's hosted outside China now. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not connected to... Uh, the Chinese um, teams, they can't access, you know, if, if the government in China wanted that data, we couldn't even give it to them type, type thing. Um, that wasn't the case maybe three, four years ago. Uh, and I know from, you know, Chinese teams could absolutely access data from international users if they wanted to. So um, definitely there's a case that uh, that could have happened you know, several years ago, uh, and may maybe there was cases of, of that. I, mean, I don't know, but like, there back in 2018, let's say TikTok was totally just using backend infrastructure from China, and there's totally teams in Beijing saying, you know, can you give me user data for you know Argentina, blah blah blah, and they just get that data raw <laughs> and like all of that personal information. Um, but you know, I don't think that's I, I, my understanding is that's really not the case today and hasn't been for, for the past year. So, um, interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, uh, uh, I think that's, that's a uh, great insight. I just quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Um, my favorite business book, uh, this, I would say business book, but maybe marketing book. Uh, I really uh, like this book. Um, I've reread it recently. Uh, Trust me, I'm lying. Oh. Okay. Uh, by Ryan Holiday, and it's probably his best book. It's his first book, and I think that book is really um, for online marketing, for understanding how online works in terms of media and in terms of social media, uh, and it's and just promotion and, and, and all of that. It's um, it's the most truthful book ever written that I know of. 
And I think it's still very relevant today for understanding how that ecosystem works. Yeah, I think I think I'm a big fan of Ryan Holiday because of all his stoic books. Uh, I think he's mm-hmm. done a couple of them, which is very good. Uh, you know, if you could go back in time when you started writing, uh, back to what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? If writing the book, yeah. Um, uh, well, the the biggest well. Eh. I mean, I wish I had more time to cover India in the book. That's one of a big regret. Um, and then the, the, you know, I never, when I started writing, I never knew that Donald Trump would get involved and suddenly it would become a, such a big media story. And so, uh, you know, I didn't really plan to, I was, I sort of finished the book as that was happening. And so I couldn't really cover that. Maybe knowing today, knowing that, you know, um, I would have probably given myself a couple more months to get the, get over that and release the book a little bit later, and so I could have put that in the final chapter, perhaps. Um, that, but you know, there's no way I could have really foreseen that. Uh, and then there's lots of sort of like things that you learn along the way, and so the next book will be better in terms of like style, content, editing, you know, all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, uh, when the, when the ban happened in India and and US, uh, it was a big story back then, but. Yeah, um, yeah so. I and mean, that happened while I was writing. Like this, oh, yeah. I just woke up one day and like, oh, by the way, TikTok banned in India. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, how do I, you know, I'm finishing this up and then all of this crazy stuff happens while you're just finishing the story. And I just realized like, you know, this is breaking news. I can't really cover this in the moment. Everything, I'm, anything I write would be just outdated because I don't know if it's going to be banned and then not banned, right? It could yeah. just be like a temporary ban. And then if you write about it, it would just be like, why is he writing about this? So, this, this. <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's a nice problem to have. Right. Okay. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Um, not, I mean, uh, I'd like to mention one relevant here. I think CapCut, uh, for people who might not be aware of it, is um, it's currently doing very well um, in um american markets and i i guess europe as well it's actually also by bite dance is a video editing app for for mobile and it's the best tool you can use to edit tiktok videos um that i know of anyway uh, at least on the phone i'm sure not, not not using some heavy professional editing software suite but if you just want something that's free it's actually very good and so uh yeah i would recommend that I will put that in the in the show notes. Uh, Matthew, you also write a Substack, and uh, you know you've come up with a book. What is the best way people can reach out to you and know more more about your book and your Substack? Yeah, so uh, my new Substack is going to be about uh, Chinese uh, retail and e-commerce and brand innovation. Basically, there's just a whole. We're entering the very beginnings of a golden era in terms of Chinese brands. Uh, you think about the last hundred years and all of these great American brands that we know, like Nike or you know, um, Starbucks or you know all these household names in retail and, and and areas like that. China's really just you know now all of these companies are starting to come up, and uh, they're very digital. They're very savvy in what they're doing. They're working out different models and. Um, I think that they're just going to wipe the floor <laughs> with a lot of the brands that are, are global names right now. Um, Sheen's currently the best example of that. Um, so, yeah, I want to cover that on the Substack. We'll link to that, I guess. And then I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, those are the two platforms where you can find me uh, and then the, the, the book as well, obviously. 
Uh, we will put that in the show notes. Um, and and uh, thank you so much for for taking your time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.